recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada, a Get a Grip management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the good folks at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, this is Restoring Darkness podcast. This episode of Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to evluma.com, hover over products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and Ariamax lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With Ariamax lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to sky glow. And all of Avluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back, folks, to the Restoring Darkness podcast. Before we get into the guest today, I want to tell you about the new Restoring Darkness merch. That's right, you go to restoringdarkness.com and you can buy t shirts, hats, sweaters, all that kind of stuff. With the Restoring Darkness brand on it. I was going to wear some today for today's show, but you know what? I bought a whole pile and my kids took it all. And they think it's so super cool. They stole all the sweatshirts, the hoodies, um, the t-shirts, everything. So it's all gone, but I'm ordering more just like you can at RestoringDarkness.com. On today's show, we have Ken Volchek. Uh, he is the senior, oh, where is it here? Senior manager of Far Horizons at the Adler Planetarium. In Chicago. It's a hands-on science engineering and research program for students, volunteers, and the general public. He is a board member of the International Dark Sky Association and an associate member of the IES. He has co-authored numerous papers on the sensing and characterization of light pollution with instruments designed with students and volunteers at the Adler Planetarium, including an inexpensive all-sky imaging camera, a stratospheric light pollution, pollution mapping system, and satellite concepts for the remote sensing of light at night. He studied photography and film and previously owned his own furniture and lighting design company. Astronomy and appreciation of the night have been a lifelong passion of his. You can check him out on Twitter at K-W-A-L-Z-A-R. And he's got some research. We'll put it on the website for you guys all up there. You can click on the links on the restoringdarkness.com website. I'm not going to read them. That's a big, long URL you got there, Ken. Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. And you know what? I'm super interested in a lot of the stuff on here. I love it when um, the darkness restoration and the um, lighting practitioners come together and you're one of those people. And before mm -hmm. we get into this, I, I've been, we've been dialoguing the association that sponsors this, this show, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors about a, a paradigm shift. Now that is often thrown around and most often not true. Okay. So a lot of people talk about paradigm shifts, Ken, but usually they're talking about, you know, their dreams or something that's, that, you know, that that's not going to happen. I think in the 21st century, we're going to see a paradigm shift in this industry, I hope. And that shift is from providing people with electric light 
to providing them with electric light and natural darkness. And so I think that we're going to see that shift. And before we get into the all the tools and instruments you've designed, tell me how on your lighting journey you became a darkness lover and became an enthusiast, then an advocate, and now you work basically in the business of understanding darkness and it's and our need for it. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, since I was a kid, I was uh, an astronomy nerd. Um, you know, I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago and, uh, you know, we, even as a kid, you know, don't look north. That's where Chicago is because you're not going to see anything. You know, south, okay, that's, you know, toward farmland. That's where you want to look. And I never thought too much about it until like uh, years and years later. Um, if it wasn't for my inability to, to grasp calculus, I probably would have become an astronomer. Instead, I, I went the art route to my other creative uh, uh, endeavor, which was uh, photography and film. So that's actually what I studied. Um, so light is also important to that. Actually, I did a lot of my photography at night. Um, just there's, there's something about the, the quality of the night that was always fascinating to me. Um, and then as years went by, you know, um, uh, I sort of lost track of all that fascination with the night sky, mainly because I never saw it. I lived in San Francisco, uh, London, uh, uh, Chicago, you know, places where <laughs> you're, you're not going to get that opportunity to remind yourself what the night's all about. Um, and it wasn't until, like, uh, I started working at the Adler Planetarium um, about two, geez, um, 12 years ago, maybe, that... Um, got reconnected with uh, what what a good night means and um on a personal journey i uh just said like at that time oh i, I gotta see stars again so i would actually take trips um a little project i was doing there where i'd find the darkest site in every state of the u.s and uh go on a camping trip there so i did 12 states before i kind of put that on hiatus <laughs> but but, uh, and that was just mind blowing, just to know again, like that's what really reconnected me with this effort is saying like, oh my God, everybody should experience this. And you know, living in Chicago, I work with students, uh, mainly teenagers and some undergrads and almost every single one I asked, you know, hey, raise your hand if you've seen the Milky Way and no one does. It's uh, so it was that that made it really strike home to me where it's like, we need to do some something about this. I just saw the Milky Way on the weekend. Um, uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, luckily, uh, you know, Canadians have a very, very quick and easy access, you know, to um, to dark skies. Most of us live very close to the U.S. border and you just drive north. And oftentimes you can find yourself in, in areas which, you know, not, I wouldn't call dark sky preserve level, but, you know, very within, you know, an hour drive north of anywhere, you're pretty much in an area where you can see the Milky Way. Again, the quality of the Milky Way can vary, right? You can have it blasting out at you, and other times you can just see the outline of it like a haze, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Let me ask you about a question about the lighting industry. In your experience um, from the lighting industry, is the lighting industry, did you actually work in outdoor lighting at all? Did you do any outdoor lighting projects or anything like that? Yes. No, actually, I did. Um, I, I was doing more uh, inter interior lighting design, uh, mainly fixtures, and uh, kind of came from my art perspective. Um, so, yeah, I didn't do outdoor lighting. Um, that wasn't never a concern to me until I put the pieces together, like I said later, where I was like, hey, this is 
something that should be thought about now. I'm, I'm all in about, you know, a good dialogue about from every part of the circle, from what people are demanding, what people are producing, what people are selling, and how it's being used and how it could all, you know, so there's parts of that chain that need to be connected. And that's where I feel like talking to you is a great idea uh, for, you know, getting that dialogue going. Yeah, it's very difficult for, for what I what we've kind of termed frontline lighting practitioners to sell um, darkness friendly or dark sky approved or whatever you want to call it, whatever the term is. We like darkness restoration and preservation, DRP, um, and approved equipment or simply because nobody's trained on it. Um, most people have zero concern for it in their practice. And so what people want when they change outdoor lights is light pollution. That's what they ask for. Okay, I'm not kidding you. All right, so if you go to a, a factory or a warehouse or someplace, they want as much light as, they want the brightest possible box they can get on the wall, sending light in all directions as, as much as they can, regardless as the fact that 80% of it or 90% of it is wasted light. Um, and so that, that's what, that's what the, the end user is asking for. Um, they're asking for light pollution. And I think municipalities are asking for light pollution when they do upgrade their lights to LED. Now this is changing incrementally and slowly. There's areas adopting different different rules, but as a as a general understanding, what you'll find is they want 5,000 K as much uniformity as they can, and the and to look at it, they want the most glare. So they want to be able to look at the light and see that it's super bright. How can we possibly change that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's information. It's, you know, I, I think one of the most important parts is seeing the difference. Most people don't get the, like I was saying, like our teens that we work with here in Chicago, they've never seen the difference what a night sky is supposed to look like mm-hmm. or what nighttime is supposed to look like. So it's not a concern to them. Um, same thing with uh, consumers. I mean, if, you're, if you want to put that, uh, you know, wall pack on the side of your garage uh, lighting up all night, for no reason other than you feel like, oh, that's what, you know, makes me feel secure or whatever it is, um, then you don't know that there's alternatives, um, you know, if all your neighbors are doing the same thing. So um, I guess what I'm getting at is that I, I think, I think we, I, I don't know if it's just because it's, I'm so much more connected with the community now um, over the last few years, but I really feel like there's a, a change going on. And you kind of mentioned that, you know, maybe more people are, are, curious about it or maybe inquiring about it. Um, but dark sky, uh, awareness I think is growing. Um, and like, I'm, I'm all for, for example, connecting to climate issues, you know, like, you know, like you said, if those, uh, commercial or industrial people are saying like, Oh, I just, I just want to blast a lot of light, um, because, you know, I don't have to worry about anything if you have a lot of light. Um, Hey, other than all the other issues, if you say like, yeah, but your carbon footprint just went up the roof for no reason. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I worry about LEDs, you know, because, you know, there's that rebound effect where you're like, oh, since it's cheap, put some more out there, right? Uh, and I'm still, and yeah. Sorry, I'm just taking notes. You're talking about Jevon's paradox. The cheaper something becomes, yeah. the more of it we use, right? It's a serious, like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the textbook definition of that, of that paradox is the lighting industry. Now, there's a million different, I got three different notes here. Okay, I'm going to try the first one. 
And I, I, I make this one a yes or no because I want to move quickly into the other ones. When you were, as you grew older and you became, you know, uh, your astronomy days went behind you, you started providing for your family, you're working a job, less and less time. And then you, you, you kind of come back to where you started and you're like, I, you know, I want to get back to the stars and I want to see us. Was that a craving? Was that something in you that, you know, or was it a calling? What was it? Uh, yeah, I, I would actually say it was, I think, craving is the way to put it. Um, because remember, I said in my youth, you know, I yeah, my back, backyard of the telescope and being able to see just about anything I wanted to see, hadn't hadn't had that experience for so long. And it was just like, hey, wait, yeah, you know, it's it's been a long time. So, um, so I think that that's the way to answer that. The second point is, do you find that the um, the enthusiasts are over focused on residential and under focused on corporate and municipal? I find that whenever I speak to a dark sky advocate, they're often talking about light, light trespass from neighbor to neighbor, rather than the sources of light pollution, which are which is not really residential. I mean, you could have a whole you know neighborhood of ostentatious fifty k lights on the sides of houses but they're not going to be 200 watt leds you know and event you know most people are going to not want a 200 watt led shining into their neighbor's backyard a lot that's going to be disrespectful and so we have this focus where people talk always the anecdote well you can shine that 5000k led light on your neighbor and everyone always speaks in terms of residential but i don't see the problem as really a residential problem i see it as a, a corporate and municipal problem would you agree with that oh yeah i mainly commercial by the way and uh yeah. this is actually leading into to what, what we do at the adler and i would agree with you um well put it this way there's two issues you're talking about there one is your immediate environment you know if you got your neighbor's light shining in your bedroom window uh yeah it, you do care about residential lighting but when you're looking at the big picture uh about how we're affecting just the nighttime environment in general um then yeah then i agree with you it's eh, Municipal and, but uh, I would say number one is uh, actually commercial, commercial use. Um, in fact, that's, if, if you don't mind me uh, going into a little detail here about, you know, we, one of the things we do at the Adler, um, we designed and built a system that we put on high altitude balloons uh, that fly to the stratosphere. So we'll, we'll be up to almost 30 kilometers up looking down, Whoa. Uh, taking thousands and thousands of images. Um, wow. And we can map a area that's a, about a thousand square kilometers and in a single flight from that we can actually do land use analysis saying like all right what's this zone for and how much light is coming out of it and so uh one of the early results we got uh, we we've done uh two flights in the last uh within the last year over indianapolis indiana so a city of about a million um and one of the, one of the results of what we found was that um commercial accounts for 54 percent almost 55% of all light emission uh, being shine, shining up. And then this is what I found fascinating. Oh, by the way, a street light, uh, only about 15%. Wow. So when yeah. you, this is, this is where the science can actually help inform the, the policy where sure. uh, if you say like, all right, Hey, we got to change all the street lights. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, you're making, you know, it's an improvement, but you're only making a dent. Uh, so that commercial, let me, let me just break that down a little bit. One of the things we found in our initial analysis, of this area was that if you take parking lots, car wash, car, uh, what do you call it? The service stations, uh, you know, the gas stations, car dealerships, mm -hmm. uh, what do they all have in common? Yeah. That accounts 
for the vast majority of even commercial. So car culture hmm. and then you know, throw in the streetlights, I guess, you know, so we're talking if we don't focus on cars, I mean, I know this is, it, I have no idea how to solve this problem. I'm just giving you the info. Um, you know, we focus on cars and the way we use light for automobiles, transportation, things like that. Um, you're, you're making a serious dent in the, uh, the problem. Hmm. That's so, I, 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 like every time you talk, I have so many different questions. Okay, so <laughs> let, me, let me first deal with this 30-kilometer balloon. That's a long way up, man. That's, a, that's high. So you're up there. You've got a good scope of things. You can look at it at, from a very regional level. Like the, you could start mapping the, you know, the Midwest or whatever, right? Did you ever happen to look over southern Ontario and see those, all those greenhouses in southern Ontario? Did you ever have a look at those? Now I've done that through other means, uh, through satellite data, because um, we've only flown regionally, you know, around the Chicago area. Uh, we want to we want to perfect the system that anybody could pick it up and you know build their own or use ours or invite us over to do it. Hey, we can come over to Ontario if you want. But I know uh, Leamington and, and and is it Kingsville? Um, yeah, Kingsville, and Leamington. Yeah, yeah that, yeah, that is a serious serious problem. Um, in fact, I, I last year I wrote a. a post for the IDA about uh, greenhouses and um, just how much they, they impact. Uh, and they're yeah. so weird looking too. They're so weird looking. Mm -hmm. It's like a purple haze. It looks like a, a UFO army is landing in Southern Ontario. But there's good news on that front. There's people working on that from the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and they and, and some other folks that um, that I've come to know through this work and, and they've actually passed an ordinance. They have to shield it by 90%. And um, the dark sky advocates are not happy with 90%. They're not happy with 90%. Yeah. But even 10% is a ton. But that's a good start. I, th I told them, okay, you start with that because incremental progress builds upon itself. Um, okay. So let's move into, I want to ask you um, about the increase in light pollution. Okay. Has, did the LED, outdoor LED lighting boom, which we've all observed, okay, the switch from HPS, uh, the Cobra HPS type lighting, which is low Kelvin temperature, um, while not straight down, you don't have that glary effect of an, of an LED where it's pushing light from fixture to fixture, much more uniform. Has there been a significant increase in, in light pollution that you've observed in the last 10 years? Well, let me just say that from what the work that we've done, uh, we haven't been in the business of uh, this remote sensing for long enough to do a um, uh, like a long term study. But mm -hmm. I can tell you from the research, um, here's the problem. Uh, this is another reason why I think light pollution, by the way, is is kind of a, a new uh, gaining some new uh, interest uh, over the last decade or two is that we've never really had ways of seeing the big picture mm -hmm. um, up until 2020 or 2012 when uh, a satellite was launched that can actually monitor and image the earth at night. Um, so we've only had about a decade of consistent data to tell us the story. Uh, now, here's the one thing about that satellite is, I'm getting to you to answer your question, uh, mm -hmm. is that it sees, it's, sees the full spectrum except for blue light. Yes, Think Chris Kaiba told me that. Chris Kaiba in, in Germany, yeah. Years ago, he said we can't yeah. even measure anything over 3,500 Kelvin or something like that. 
Yep, that's about right. So, so you can switch out all the HPS you want. Put it, you know, you could even go to, um, you know, three thousand K, like, and you're not going to see any change from from space from the main data set that we have. That's one of the reasons why we're trying to do what we're doing here. That's a catastrophe. Is, uh, we actually, yeah, exactly. So, according to everybody, they're like, "Hey, look, we've we've dropped the amount of light pollution because we switched to LEDs," and it's like, maybe you have. And uh, I just want to quote one study um that was done which was just released last year by some folks in the national park service here in the u.s that was um they looked at a town that did a retrofit this is in um uh in washington state uh they only switched out about four thousand hps to uh three mainly three thousand k and some four thousand k in some of the um some of the roads uh they did a before and after observation from that satellite and guess what the satellite said you just drop the amount of light emission. It's like, yeah, great. All right. Well, they did observations from the ground and found that the, the, light, the sky glow actually increased. So just proof that we're missing the story. So we need better tools out there. We need better observations. And so long and short, um, I can't tell you definitively, scientifically, um, how much it's changing. Like here in Chicago, we did a retrofit over the last five years of 270,000 HPS to um, 3,000 K LEDs. I mean, they're better shielded, but they are a lot bluer. Blue scatters is where you get that glow. So I don't know. Well, at least they're not 5,000 Kelvin or 4,000 Kelvin. That, like, that's oh, a God, win. Yeah. That's a win. Like most of the stuff mm -hmm. up here is four or 5,000 Kelvin. Um, and uh, and just like a, yeah, a like flat even, LED. I can't even imagine 5,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you're off the show. That's the question I wanted to have answered. <laughs> for having yeah, you on yeah, yeah. i'm kicking you on right. no um okay so it, uh, you know for the for the for the sake of just understanding here let's go through these different tools so we unpack them a little bit and then i got a ton of more questions i don't want to go for two hours here because i just have a feeling we could you and i could probably chat for a long time about about light pollution so for the sake of the audience here let's get it let's get this out here okay let's talk about the inexpensive all sky imaging camera. How inexpensive is it? How does it work? Is it on the balloon? Just tell me the technical parts of that. That's a ground camera. It's um, it's only about the size of um, oh, I don't know, uh, just about uh, ten centimeters, ten centimeters by a little little thinner than that. Uh, it's um, a DIY thing. Uh, we we built it from um, just our own electronics, and uh, it cut, runs about. Um, just to build it, just the parts is about 200 bucks. Um, so $200 takes an entire picture of the night sky, you know, those fisheye lens, you know, kind of images you see. So the entire horizon and all the way around. Um, and it also automatically takes pictures every five minutes. So you put it out at night, um, takes images all through the night, you pull it back in, uh, you, and then we process the data and we can tell you not only what color your sky is, how bright your sky is, but we can actually, because of that time sequence, we can see like, hey, you know what? Uh, our light's being switched off. Is the sky throughout the night getting um, dimmer? Is it getting darker? Or, you know, uh, are there certain directions that it's it's all coming from? You know, we can tell a lot from from that. And uh, like Does I said, it know the difference between up. moonlight and starlight and our electric light? Well, it's, it's just like a regular camera, RGB, uh, you know, red, green, blue. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, you see the stuff, you see the moon in the sky. So we can actually subtract that out. Like if, if it was there, 
ideally, if you want to see what, what's left over that's not natural, um, you know, you do it without the moon in the sky. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I, I don't know if it's a, a U.S. thing or a Chicago thing or whatever it is, but I hear from a lot of folks, especially in Europe, that'll say like, oh, you know, you can take observations with something like an instrument like this. Now, other people use like a SLR camera with a thousand dollar fisheye lens and stuff. Uh, so you know, you're talking a couple grand for, for a similar system. Ours is obviously lower resolution, but it's focused on the task at hand. They'll say like, oh, you take images throughout the night and you'll see, uh, oh, that town dropped their lights. You know, they turned off their whatever commercial lights or turned off whatever else. And you can actually see that drop. This does, I, I have yet to see that happen anywhere in the U.S. I don't know if it's a, like I said, a U.S. urban. Well, electricity whatever, is but. a lot more expensive in Europe, right? So they're they like they've, mm -hmm. I they, they there's all sorts of the Europe Europeans are far more efficient. I, I'm not get, listen, you Europeans out there, don't even start. <laughs> I, I, it's not because it's not because they. Um, are better than us, which is often the old Europeans are so much better. It's simply because things cost more in Europe. Like gas, like fuel costs more, electricity costs more. Everything seems to cost more, and that's the whole thrust of carbon emission pricing. Is that if you if you add a cost to something, you'll change behavior. I don't want to go down that track right now, but um, I just like don't yeah. like the Europeans getting on their soapboxes. I love you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, let's talk now about the stratospheric light pollution mapping system. That's what you're talking about where the balloon goes up. All right, tell me a little bit about the mapping system, how it works, and what you plan to do with it. Well, um, our original intention was to uh, map Chicago. Uh, ideally, we would have been able to do it before our lighting transition, uh, the retrofit. Um, we were just, we actually, it was the uh, solar eclipse back in 2016 or whatever that sort of like, delayed us because we were doing some other stuff. And that's when Chicago started its retrofit. Um, we had everything going great. And then in the summer of 2019, um, we are we were flying over Chicago. Like I said, we're about 28 kilometers over Chicago. And the, there's three cameras, one that points straight down and two that point at an angle. Because um, the way that light comes out of a city, especially what we call urban canyoning, you kind of want to, don't want to just look straight down um, you also want to see like how much light is coming from the side because, you know, buildings, trees and everything block mm -hmm. a light of that, you know, what would be, you know, that um, uh, vertical luminance, you know. Um, so we were flying over Chicago and our balloon burst. It's, it wasn't supposed to burst. It was supposed to vent out and get it. And our entire payload landed in the lake. So that was uh, we were rebuilding our system. We were ready to fly again in the spring of 2020. And well, as you know. Not much happened in the spring of 2020 other than us all locking down. So this is where we had a little bit of delay. We're um, now back up and running. Um, and because of that big giant lake that we have to avoid, um, we decided on starting to image Indianapolis to see, test out all our systems. And with it, um, from that vantage point, um, we not only will we'll hover and slowly drift over a city or, or region, for about two hours. Um, so that entire time we're taking images, um, mm -hmm. we'll collect over 10,000 images in a single flight. Uh, and then we do a lot of GIS uh, mapping of that thing. And then we can lay it all out and not only look at um, where the light's coming from on a regional scale, but also get color information. Uh, we can see, we can see those, <laughs> we can see those 4,000 K and 5,000 K 
uh, LEDs really, really well compared to, um, you know, like HPS or even, you can, you can definitely t tell other HIDs, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, mercury vapor, if they still got them, things like that. Uh, so we can distinguish the light kinds, where they are, um, and also uh, their brightness, um, how much they emit up to the stratosphere. Hmm. That wouldn't be their brightness. That would be their percentage of wasted light. Yeah, yeah. That's should I say. Like, yeah, you're right. Because um, you, you so, can have a really bright case, light. You can have a really bright light source that is that is dark sky friendly. You just have to shield it correctly. Yeah, and, and you right. Yeah. It's not, it's I, not I just think, about brightness. Yeah, and that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, because, you know, what we're typically observing is, um, is the pool of light created by outdoor lights, right? Mm -hmm. um, because... Ideally, you're not going to have a light just pointed up, but that's that's a whole other story. We've got examples of that, but yeah, you're right. You're we're looking at um, what's spilling on the ground um, and then reflecting up. In most cases, um, what you're not so, you're looking yeah, at you're what's right. uh, you're looking at what's reflecting up. No, you're looking at what's spilling out of light fixtures directly, correct? Or what's actually reflecting up? Uh, yeah. So we, I mean, you know, like a typical uh, image, uh, like I said, we have about five meter resolution. So, you know, you have a, a parking parking lot in front of a, you know, a, a hardware store or whatever it is. And, um, you know, we can see every single uh, pool of light from every single fixture. You usually don't see the fixtures themselves. You're right. Uh, because we're looking at it from the, now that's where in cooperation with uh, doing ground surveys, we can correlate. Oh, this is, this is how if we go out there, we can go out there with, um, you know, light meters and, and spectrometers and everything else to figure out where that light is coming from so we can correlate what we're seeing from above. You know, so for example, we can, we can calculate how much literally energy is coming out into the night sky with our high altitude balloon. But, when you, wait, but let me ask you this. Um, when you're looking at this light pollution, so the problem with cameras and photo photographing light is that they adjust, right? There's a, there's a, they adjust to light. That's what cameras are taking a picture of is light, right? Am I correct? Yeah. Right? They're actually, so when you're trying to photograph light, it's a challenge. I know this because inside when we would do before and after pictures of lighting systems, it's actually, it doesn't always correlate to how much light was increased or decreased because the cameras themselves adjust to the light level. But let me, let me ask you this. What I'm trying to figure out is, is the most light pollution re-reflected light off the ground? Or is it just light spilling into the air from wasted light? That's, that's what I'm asking you. Because my mm -hmm. feeling is that a lot of the, that if you're photographing a bright ground, that's okay. That's what we want, right? We want to have safe spaces. We want to have lit up sidewalks and roads. We just don't want the light wasted and going off into the sky. Is that light pollution you're photographing, or is that just the light that's on the ground mostly? Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm yeah, asking? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, yeah, um, because obviously, if it was pitch black, if there was no light at all, we wouldn't see anything. Um, now, if that light was shining up, yeah, we could see those sources that are shining up. But now, uh, we do see those, by the way. We do see a lot of upward pointing light. But you're right that... Uh, if you're having, um, well, you know, let's go back to the parking lot example. If you're having a parking lot uh, illuminated um, by overhead lights that we're not seeing the light, we're just seeing the light pool, you know, yeah, you're saying that's what it's for, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing it reflecting off the ground. I mean, so, so the, no, so but Eric, this, Mike, my question is this. 
is the light yeah. actually, are you taking a picture of a bright spot or is that light, is a large percentage of that light reflecting off the asphalt or off the concrete and going back into the sky? Because I guess that's what you're taking a picture of. I guess it would be, or am I like, what, what is the, is that in light trans, cases, let's yes. say you have a shielded light, shielded, fully shielded, mm -hmm. 2200 Kelvin light pointed straight down. Is that light that you're photographing also bouncing up and going back in, up into the sky is light pollution? That's my question. Yes. Now, but that's mm. not all the cases, but yes, you're right. So, you know, we, we are seeing useful light as well as uh, wasted light. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, this is like, let me get to that one point you made about the cameras. Um, our cameras are fixed. They're, they're a fixed exposure and a fixed, um, you know, focal length and everything else. So they don't change. If, it, if the scene gets brighter, they're, they're not adjusting. So we have, you know, it's calibrated in the sense that, something's brighter, it shows up brighter. If something's dimmer, it's not adjusting for the scene. Um, but that's where, remember I said, we have these angled uh, cameras as well. Now that's where, <clears throat> so we started an initial analysis on this and, and uh, we're hoping to, to do a little bit more of a thorough version of this, where we can see, we have the, the building outlines. Uh, we know where the buildings are, even though this is at night. Uh, it's kind of interesting trying to map these things out because the the scene at in night does not map, match what we sure. see today. Sure. But we do know we do know the building outlines. So what we've been able to do is say, all right, I want to know we're observing at a slight angle how much of that light is not coming from you know uh, reflected like you're saying off the ground, but actually facades mm -hmm. that are on the side of the buildings. If we were looking straight down, you'd never see any of that. But we actually have an angle view, and we are. Like, I, I don't have any of the um, scientific results yet because we're still doing the analysis. It's a little tricky to do. Mm -hmm. um, but we're seeing a lot, a lot of glowing buildings. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're seeing them from a slight angle, but you're up in the stratosphere. The facade of that building is glowing like, like nobody's business. And now uh, that's something we'd love to do more exploration of is like how much of this light is coming from window lighting, facade lighting, advertising, we see billboards, uh, everything else just shining sideways a lot. So when we're looking, yeah, when it comes to the darkness restoration and, and preservation idea or dark skies, whatever it's called, I keep saying that because I don't know what it's called really, what, what best encapsulates it. But um, when I think about that, I think the solvable problem, we're never going to get rid of, we're going to need, we could probably reduce light levels in parking lots. I mean, they're probably vastly overlit, actually, to be honest with you. But we do need to have a certain amount of light for in areas, in cities, for safety reasons, and so on and so forth. The portion that we can get rid of is that vertical light that you're looking at with the side camera. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I really think that that portion of the light pollution piece could be 100% eliminated if not, you know, 99% or whatever. It's that 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 re-reflected light off the earth, that's going to be very difficult to um, to eliminate. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, see, what we're, what we're trying to do is say, what's coming up? What's coming yeah, up? What's causing sky? sky glow? What's causing light pollution? That's what I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to ask you. Is it those, is it, like, if you did a, if you did a parking lot, in a perfectly dark sky approved 
Uh, Pete Strasser flies out. He approves you. You know what I mean? From the IDA. This is awesome. You're still going to see that with your cameras. But is it, con- is it contributing a significantly less to sky glow? Is it contributing significantly less to light pollution? Or is most light pollution re-reflected light off the earth? I'd love to know the answer to that question. Do you know it? No, actually, I don't. That's one of the reasons why we're trying to do this research. Um, <laughs> but, I could say, but I could say that here's, here's the thing. that um, You know, the scattering of blue light, you know, that's, you know, everything from the AMA to everybody else, you know, talks about blue light, blue light. And, uh, you know, it's obviously why the sky is blue during the day is because light that's blue is like a fog. Uh, it scatters new particles in the atmosphere. It's going to create a lot of the sky glow you're seeing. So it's like your point about, okay, you got it. You got to light that street or else, you know, it's going to, you know, maybe argument can be made. You don't have to light them all, but um, for travel or safety purposes or whatever. But if you do it with lower light levels and you do it with, you know, less blue, um, you're, you're actually, this is something we can also observe from, from our missions is, well, how much of that is blue light and we can quantify how much, uh, you know, take a little bit more work, but how much that blue light is contributing to sky glow. Um, I mean, when you're talking about not being able to see the stars, you know, uh, the sky glow is the thing that's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're always going to have some reflected off of surfaces, right? Um, so, like you said, if it's not light in the surface, it's not doing its job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, it's a complex problem. Um, but I think like what you're saying about the, the greenhouses, you know, Hey, if you can, you can close down 90% of it, you know, Hey, I'd take that. You yes. Know, but, yeah. We need to take all the victories. Like, I mean, there's no, um, you know, I, I don't like the word perfectionist. I think that a lot of people striving for excellence are accused of being perfectionists. And, you know, so I, I think that, you know, 90% is a good start and that's a good place to start. And then because the, it, it, oftentimes in these debates and I, you know what, I've talked to a lot of people who historically have been in the IDA going back 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and I've spoken to them and there was even 15 years ago and there was hostility between the IDA and the lighting industry. There was some hostility there, some acrimony there in the past. And then I, you know, and I, and I've spoke about this green is that there's acrimony between, you know, the, the greenhouse operators and the, you know, thing. my opinion on the whole thing is that, listen, the greenhouse guys are trying to make food. Okay. They're not, it, it, you know, or, or you know what, they're growing cannabis or they're, they're doing something that they're allowed to do and they've paid the taxes of the town and they're employing people. And these are, these are enterprises that you need to embrace into your world. And if you got them going for 90% right now, then you know what? Take that, fight somewhere else for a bit and come back in a couple of years and see if you, and see if the standards can be shifted to a hundred percent on new greenhouses and all this. This is an issue, Ken, for the 21st century. It's not an issue for tomorrow or the next day. It's something that we absolutely have to incrementally work towards. And if, if we need the lighting industry in on the on the education, on the awareness, on the advocacy. Mm-hmm. Now, you know why I say that is because the lighting industry is going to sell all these light fixtures if it actually starts to happen. You know what I'm saying? They're the ones that are going to be selling it. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are going to be consulting it. It's not going to be the IDA that does that. It's going to be people in the lighting industry. And so we need those people in. We need to embrace them and 
and, and, and bring them in, which is the purpose of this show by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors is to align the industry on the great, the number one issue facing our industry, maybe not the world, but our industry. And so I want to ask you something. Is light pollution an environmental issue? And if it is, why is it not considered so by those outside of the lighting and, and IDA worlds? Well, um, you know, pardon my French, but hell yeah. <laughs> of course it's an environmental <laughs> issue. I mean, it, it's... Um, you know, the, just the effects have been known for decades now um, on, you know, everything from ecology to, you know, human health to, you know, just just look at the climate footprint, you know, you, you have when you're overlighting things um, to just, you know, loss of the night, uh, you know, those experiences with our students who've never seen a star in the sky, you know, um, it, you just add all that up and it's like, this is a pollutant. Um, now, I, I think this is all, we're on the sort of a incoming crest of a wave um, where, it, you know, I, I look at it from maybe a research perspective where it's like, you know, uh, we didn't have the data, we didn't have the information. So if you ask me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, hey, what's the problem? How do we solve it? I'd say, well, I can't see the stars. I'm not sure how to solve it. You know, I don't have the data. I don't have the answer for you. But nowadays, um, like I said, with advent of satellite observations, with the advent of new instruments and, and a growing research community, we're actually finally starting to get the message out there with some information. And that's where I'm saying it's kind of a, a cresting wave where it's like, I think we're getting to the point where we have enough to be able to say, hey, raise our hand, say, you got to listen to this. And, and that's where we are right now just at the beginning of that conversation. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting be that um, the environmental movement per se has not embraced this issue. And, um, well, at least I'm the host of the Restoring Darkness podcast and I'm looking out for this stuff, okay? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I have not heard anyone talk about it at a, that's, um, you know, a serious environmentalist other than being in this world already. I have not heard any, have you heard any politician or any environmentalist or anyone speak to light pollution as actually being pollution and not a metaphor? I don't, I oh, don't recall it. Yeah, I mean, well, um, so for example, Sierra Club, Audubon Society, I know there are some folks that, are, um, especially in the program, that, that are, you know, are starting to really uh, voice opinions about it. You know, and then once again, I think it's we're a, maybe a, a small group of voices out there who are early adopters um, trying to get uh, get everybody else on board. It's going to take some time. And I think uh, it's it's coming around. I think it's coming around. I think so, too. This is a movement. That's what I call it. It's not controlled by anybody. Um, there's leaders, obviously, the IDA being, you know, the foremost leader in the movement, but it, there is something happening. I can feel it in the lighting industry. Um, Nailed has bought in full hundred percent and um, we're starting to see uh, other areas, but I, the general public, so our, we have, we put out six strategies for um, darkness restoration and preservation about a year ago. And um, as a response to the five principles of responsible outdoor lighting, which I thought was fantastic that the IDA and the IES knocked heads together and came out with those simple five things 
I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. And so it had nailed. And so they, they, they came up with six strategies. The first one was industry alignment. We're finding it very difficult, actually, the industry alignment piece. But the second part is advocacy and how we create awareness within the general public. The question becomes, why do people need nighttime? Why do they need darkness? And why is it more important than the other reasons that we're lighting the night up so much? Like that's going to be the debate, right? Is why do we need this versus that? And that's going to be a way, that's where the, I think the rubber meets the road with the safety being the, of paramount importance when it comes. I mean, I just saw another ad come out in my inbox from a company. They make sports lighting and they, you know, switch your lights to LED for your sports field for more safety. And I thought to myself, like, how the heck do you know that it's more safe? Like, what metric are you using? How do you know? So people throw around the word safety as the ultimate straw man argument against anything they don't want to hear. You know? Well, it's not it's safe. It's, 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 well, we're looking at, you know, lowering the Kelvin temperature. And don't worry because the color rendering index is the same amongst Kelvin temperatures and LED. And we want to shield these lights. And, no, 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 no. Safety. Safety shuts all that down. And how do we get over, like, that's a powerful straw. He may be a straw man, but he's a damn powerful <laughs> shutdown straw man, that guy, that safety guy. How do we get over that one? Because that's going to be the real hurdle. Yeah, you know, uh, put this way. <laughs> I literally had a conversation yesterday with a large city government here in the U.S. Um, with their uh, director of operations, and uh, um, and we were making the case for, they're installing 4,000 Kelvin lights, street lights, and we're saying, you know, we even looked at the, the product uh, and CRI of the 4,000K and the 2,700K were exactly the same, 70. And it's like, okay, well, then, you know, because they were talking about the safety, about color rendition for, um, you know, uh, identifying, you know, car colors and things like that, whatever. I said, but you got the same color rendering index. Okay. Um, you could argue that or whatever, but... Um, and they said, well, ooh, we're going to have to take it back to our safety people because they said 4,000K is better for um, better for safety. Like, <laughs> It's exactly what you're saying. It's like, where? Where are they getting this from? Um, and, and then, you know, that, once again, it's going to have to go back it's to... It's a false you know, axiomatic presupposition. And when you have somebody that believes, look at any, any lighting person that works on the front lines with customers knows this. If you tell somebody, do you want the white light or do you want the yellow light? They're always going to say, I want the white light. Like simple, well, give me the white one. Yeah, 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 the white's better, right? Or whatever. That's, that's just how it's going to be, right? People are going to make those decisions. They have no data to prove, no research to prove that their 4,000K lights are superior to the 27K for any of the reasons, but Mr. Straw Man, Mr. Straw, mm-hmm. safe, safety straw man, somehow is able to shut everyone else down by claiming that he, that he is right and everyone else is wrong and everyone else has to provide all the data. Everyone else has to provide all the things and satellites and shoot balloons into the sky. But Mr. Straw Man, Mr. Straw Man never has to provide any data. He just, he doesn't, what are you talking about? 
I know I, you have to prove me wrong. How did we get to this point with this kind of mm-hmm. attitude? It's a false axiomatic presupposition, straw man. Get a grip. That's what I yep. say. I, I, I testify because <laughs> I, I hear you. Because, yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's going to take a lot more knocking on doors and, and, and giving the pitch, you know, um, giving – you know, you can give them the science. You can also uh, give them the experience. And remember, I was saying earlier about people not even having the experience of what the alternative could be. Um, I have a question for you. So you're saying, oh yeah, if you had a client there saying, oh, do you want the white light or do you want the yellow light? They're going to say, I want the white light. And I'm asking you, like, do you think they're looking at that during the day? They're like, oh yeah, they're in a showroom or whatever, or, or you know, and they're like, oh yeah, I want that light. I want to see them literally see that 5,000 K light in their face, uh, in their own, you know, backyard, uh, compared to the yellow light, you know, and they go, Hey, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the best. Do you know what I mean? Um, totally. You have to experience. Yeah. I totally understand Uh, what you're talking about. Um, and it's simple as this is that for whatever reason, 5,000 Kelvin or 4,000 Kelvin appears more white. That's what people want. Um, in these commercial industrial settings and office buildings and all this sort of stuff. Um, in the past, that correlated with higher color rendering index, right? So that was the truth, right? So, you know, a F40T12 Chroma 50 was the only way that you could get 95 plus CRI out of a fluorescent tube. If you did it at a warmer temperature, it couldn't achieve those CRI levels. So there was a time when that correlation between color rendering and color temperature was true. Now, that's not the case anymore. The second thing is, what level of color render- rendering do you need? I mean, seriously. We're not talking about, you know, taking out a 90 CRI uh, LED light and replacing it with uh, low-pressure sodium with 13 CRI, okay? Even if lower Kelvin temperatures have a lower Kelvin, a color temperature rating, it's way better than the high-pressure sodium lamps you're using now, sucker. Yeah, exactly. Which are 2,222 on a color rendering scale. So, like, now you're saying, no, 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 to go from 22 color rendering to 90 color rendering or 70 or whatever it is, we're willing to sacrifice all other concerns because of straw man and his safety argument. You know what? I'm sick of straw man. I've had enough of his bull, bull crap, yeah. okay? Uh, it's so it's unbelievable that people can make these statements with zero shred of evidence and be believed and feared and everyone else that's trying to point them into maybe a different direction or a better direction. You're not against changing the lights in Indianapolis or anywhere else, right? Because we want to save energy. You know, so I, I don't know how we beat straw man, though. He seems to have a very powerful grasp over the levers of power. <laughs> Okay, so wait a minute. Let me ask you this then: Is that uh, you said the first uh, nailed uh, principle was uh, in- industry alignment? Mm-hmm. Um, well, isn't it the industry that's uh, you know helping to promote that? Well, we asked them. Um, so, you know, um, look, uh, dark skies, darkness restoration. What generally um, the DLC. I'm going to say something good about the DLC, Scott. Unbelievable. For the first time ever in the history, they've been very progressive with their Luna program, and they should be applauded for that. 
um, and they've done a lot of work there. Yes, all you folks at the DLC for the first time, you got to cut this into a quote for social media. For the first time, I think they've done a good job with their their Luna program and and sort of, but they're not in the lighting industry. So the DLC is a standards organization for utilities. They're not um, actually within the lighting industry, although they work very closely with the lighting industry. The IES has a lot of things going on. The IES would be one of the major um, contributors, and they could bang heads together with NEMA, which is the National Electrical Manufacturers Association. So I'm not going to speak on behalf of NEMA, but I'm going to try to summarize. What NEMA wants is the same standards for every state. Right? They want it to be the same everywhere so you can manufacture stuff and it works and everybody's happy. Right? So those two could knock heads together. It's just not a priority for them. They don't see it. They don't see um, providing natural darkness, is how I would word it, as a priority for the lighting industry, which to me is, is where the paradigm has to shift. It's like if we're using electric light at night and we are imposing ourselves upon nature we have a fiduciary duty to limit that imposition as much as possible for its own sake and then all the other reasons but simply for its own sake this idea that there's no maximum light levels like like that's just a legacy right that's a legacy stand that's a legacy problem and so the lighting industry industry alignment is proving to be extremely difficult. Now, why this is, I think it goes back to, listen, I don't want to get into talking about any other subject, but I think in the last two years, we've observed how difficult it is for people to admit they're wrong. Okay? Like, it's been on, like, I don't care what side of that debate over the last two and a half years you're on. Clearly, we have a problem with our officials saying, you know what? We didn't know. Two things they can't do. They can't say, we don't know. And we were wrong. This was actually a mistake. Right? No matter where you stand on the issues, that's true. We've observed it. It's proven. Everybody's been videotaped. And you can you see these reels of changing messages over the course of two years. And it's, it's, it's crazy. So... I think there's a problem in the lighting industry with people saying, oh, man, that means that all those outdoor lights I did in the last 15, 20, 30 years of my career have, has, has been, you know, wrong. The way I look at it is, listen, fess up and let's all get rich, okay? Like, what are we waiting for? People are, like, we should be shouting this as an industry from the rooftops, why? Because the lighting industry is going to sell all the new equipment that we need. And we, people are banging their heads against the wall to find a decent application for network lighting controls. Hello! Hello! <laughs> RestoringDarkness.com! Check it out! We have the ultimate application for network lighting controls. The ultimate one. There's so Think about how many studies you could do anywhere in the United States or Canada where you had a city and you could control the light output, the color, the temperature, everything, 
and may, never even for darkness reasons, just for safety reasons, for crime, what kind of crime happens in this light. Can we eliminate vagrancy by, you know, if there's a lot of vagrancy, can we just brighten the lights up real bright in this area for a little while and those people will move on? There's, You know what I'm saying? There's so much wonderful things for network lighting controls in municipal street lighting. I'm screaming it for so long. Like, this is the application for network lighting controls. Finally, the, the lighting industry is trying to help with circadian and, and um, you know, this kind of thing. Well, then stop shining lights into people's houses. Stop shining lights at the, all the wildlife and messing with their, their dire, the nocturnal species and all this sort of stuff. The, 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 this is the issue for the 21st century for this industry. Period. End of the story. And the best part about it is, guys, as soon as we admit that we screwed everything up, as soon as we just say, don't even say it publicly, just say it in the private rooms. We messed up. We got to fix it. Who's going to fix it? We get to fix it. Get and we're going to s- <laughs> yeah. sell a ton of light fixtures. So mm-hmm. I don't understand what why people are not embracing this whole hog. It's a friggin' cash pig. Like mm-hmm. seriously for us. So yeah, there's my little two cents. I wouldn't. Related to that, I kind of want to go back a little bit to that, uh, you know, we were talking about all the uplight we're seeing that's reflected off the off the surface. Well, it's obviously lighting the surface, right? But, you know, some of our flights will be at like 11, past 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, why is this reflecting off a surface of the top of a parking garage, which is empty at a business that's closed? So there's your controls, by the way, uh, which is also a huge issue. It's like, you know, um, you know, you can do proximity sensors, motion sensor, you know, uh, you know, uh, PIDs. I don't know, whatever, however you want to do it. That's your <laughs> your business to solve. But the idea is that you got another opportunity to, you know, make things smart, make things do a, the job they're supposed to do, but also not ruin the rest of the environment. You know? Listen, they are See, literally uh, banging their heads to find an application for network lighting controls in the interior environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm serious. A business case for it. Okay. And I've been telling everybody like, stop wasting your time. Like the, the best application is parking, municipal street lighting, outdoor parking, mm-hmm. municipal street lighting. Like, come on. Th- this is most obviously the best application for it. And you're right. You can very easily control these devices now with a multitude of languages and software systems and sensors and everything else and you can save a ton of energy but we're using network mm-hmm. lighting controls on outdoor municipal street lighting parking this kind of stuff it is an absolute no-brainer and nobody talks about it so there i said it i'm talking about it every single time i record this show um until i'm hoping you know you know who you know who should do it you know who can do it and hopefully will is PNNL. I'm hoping that uh, Pacific, the folks at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory will like, you know, get some funding and sort of say, okay, let's try it. Let's try a couple streets in Portland, right where we are, you know, and, and maybe a, in a low income neighborhood and see if we can, and they can even add in their light equity and justice and all those kind of other things that they, they want, make them beautiful, and wonderful Kelvin temperatures. They can add all that other stuff as well. And then they can have access to those lights and control the levels, control the color. Control. It's a, so, it's such a wonderful place to start with network lighting control that can go on forever. Um, oh, I hear you. Once again, it goes back to that first premise I said where you got to see the difference. 
if you can experience what's what it could be, then you might say, hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be like this. And so, yeah, um, more experiments, man. Let's try it. LEDs are both the problem and the solution, which is great. Um, we have all the technology. We have all the everything we need. We just need the will to do it. And um, we will we'll hopefully get there. Uh, one thing that was, um, you know, interesting that, you know, I saw the other day was a tweet that came out. And maybe I can find it for Scott and he can overlay it. Um, was, uh, uh, you know, a commentary on the difference between capitalism and communism. Okay, which is not an area I like to dive into. Okay, I have my own opinions <laughs> on all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it was showing North Korea and South Korea's light pollution. And it was saying, see how great capitalism is? Look at all the light pollution in South Korea. <laughs> and there's no light pollution in North Korea, which means those guys are in abject failures. And it's like, hmm, that's what we need to turn around right there, is that the success is when you have less light pollution or no light pollution or minimal light pollution, whatever the right, right, right term is there. That would be, that would be the, where the paradigm turns on. Ken, we've gone an hour, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I know that people can find you at, at K Walzar. That's K W A L Z for you Americans. A R Z for us Canadians. Mm -hmm. K at K W. That What's that? I don't tweet that. I don't tweet that often, but Hey, you'll, you'll get to know me there. Find him there. We're going to post his research up there. Um, you know, it was a pleasure to talk to you, man. Um, any final thoughts for yeah, the listeners out there? Um, you know, like you mentioned about the, uh, ecological or maybe the health or whatever impacts of, uh, of light pollution, you know, we can't just think about the night sky and whatever, maybe the wasted energy. But, um, you know, I was thinking about the other day and it was like, realized that the importance of the night for us and for animals, even plants is up to biology. It's not up to us. So we're meddling with something that is, uh, we don't even know the ramifications of now. It's only been a little more than a century that we've really been doing what we've been doing to our nighttime environment. Um, and I'd hate to hate to stick around a few more centuries to find out, oh, like you said, we were wrong. You know, just admit it now. And uh, you know, hopefully we can make this all a lot better. So many things in life. Um, you know, it's interesting. I... I um... I've applied this so many different places. So do you know how like when somebody's struggling in life and whether that's in a marriage or in a relationship or just personally with some of the traumas of their past or whatever, and they go to a therapist, right? And so they're talking to their therapist about all the things that happened in the past, right? And um, what you'll find is like that person, I, I would love to do a series of podcasts where I interview marital therapists just like to get their stories. <laughs> Okay. But, for punishment, huh? <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Cause you know, I had a friend and he, he would tell me oftentimes I have to fire my clients because I'm becoming a referee for their fights. And, and so what's interesting is that I think most people need coaching. Okay. Rather than therapy. Now, some people do need to unpack their traumas and go through what happened to them, especially if they're very serious. But actually, what most people go to a therapist for, whether it's a marriage or personal or whatever, they actually want to make their future better, right? It's not that they want to change the past. Maybe they do, but they can't change the past, right? But what, what, what really the goal should be is to make tomorrow better the next day in the next 10 years, right? Who cares what happened in, in October 1985? Really? You know what I mean? That's behind us now. Can't do anything about it. 
right? Maybe there needs to be some healing and I'm not belittling, you know, major traumas. I'm talking about, you know, marital stuff and, you know, fights and people have and, you know, whatever. Um, and one of the things that we can do with coaching is the first thing that a, a good coach will tell you to do in life is they'll say, stop damaging your life. Stop the damage. Right? So what, the, what is that process about? Well, the process of stopping the damage is really a process of saying, what am I doing to damage my life or my relationship with my spouse or whatever? Right? And if we, half the time, this one therapist said, half the time, if people just stop damaging themselves in the relationship, that would probably be enough to save everything. Right? Never mind improving your life. Right? And so how do you stop the damage? The first thing you do to stop the damage is admit that you're doing damage. Just admit you screwed up. Like admit that you mess up. We're all human beings. We all make mistakes, Ken. And if the lighting industry would just say, you know what? This, the LED lighting boom was good for so many different reasons. We saved tons of energy. We um, got rid of mercury in our lighting system. We did so many wonderful things. But you know what? We missed the darkness restoration piece. We missed the dark sky piece. We missed that. And fix, you know what? Fix it now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just admit it, lighting industry. Just admit it. And if you admit it, you will have a bonanza like you have. The LED bonanza will just be part two. And we'll get circadian and controls and everything in there. If you made it to the end of all my rants, which I probably doubt it. Hopefully <laughs> if you did. You know I like to rant on that. If you're listening to this show, I've said a lot of this stuff before. So I apologize for repeating myself. But it need, that point needs to be made on the lighting controls and on the industry. Get our Pull the heads out of the sand of everyone around you. All you listeners out there that love restoring darkness. Grab your colleagues and pull their heads out of the sand. Let's go. This is a boom. Thanks for listening. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Ariamax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.